Carolyn and Eric, please go ahead. Thank you, Donna. Um, I have a question about sharing helpful information with others. Um, this is probably one of those questions that doesn't have a simple and straightforward uh, answer, but I still would like to hear your thoughts. If you uh, if you feel that you have helpful information to share with the world that could help people to improve their lives, then what's the right approach in presenting that to the world? To what extent is it good to actively present it and use marketing strategies? And to what extent is it better to just put it out somewhere and let people seek it out on their own to let your work be found, so to speak? Well, I think that depends on you, who you are as an individual and where your life is going and what you're doing, what's the, you know, what's the, the purpose of, of you. It's, um, you know, that's a, that's a question that I had to think about and had to come to, you know, as well. You know, what do you, what do you do with it? And there's good, you know, there's upsides and downsides to, to every action. You know, you can say, well, here's three different ways I could approach that. And every one of them will have an upside. Oh, that's, that way is better because of this. And every one of them will have a downside. Oh, that way has this problem. You know, it's limiting or it does this or it does that. So you're going to have up and downs on any way that you might approach that. It depends on you, your personality, your mission. You know, <clears throat> what you can see yourself doing. You know, if you're going to uh, go out and market it, then hopefully you're the outgoing extrovert type who has a, uh, you know, who has a, uh, uh, what, a personality that is, what do they call it, um, uh, charismatic, you know. So if you have if you have all of that, you know, if that's your personality and that's your type and you've got some finances and so on, well then that's one way to go. Of course the downside with that is you'll meet more you'll you'll get it out to more people more quickly. The downside to that is you're gonna create a personality cult. It's gonna be about you, not so much the message, because you're out you're the one that's you're selling. And that's gonna turn out to be that way. Um, so you will draw people to you at that approach, but learning and actually growing from the message will be kind of secondary to hanging out with the, you know, with the, uh, in that situation with those people. So you can do it the other way, which is just uh, put it out there and see if anybody finds it. And uh, as they do, uh, interact with them and let it grow however it does. That was the approach I took. You know, I, I wrote the books, and uh, I was going to publish them through a, a regular publisher, but I found out that every publisher that was interested in them was also interested in changing them because they had no idea really what they were. That was to them. It was a confusion. It was a massive confusion. You know, is this uh, is this science? Is this touchy feely? You know, is this feel good? Is this self help? You know, what category do I put it in? Where are my sales? What are the kind of people I'm trying to sell it to? And they would like to have cut it up into 
multiple books that each fit in a particular genre. But if you pull that apart, you lose this whole idea of unifying you know, science and spirituality. You kind of lose this whole idea of seeing big pictures. You're back into, into little pictures. So I just published it myself, which means I put it on the Internet and waited to see if somebody wouldn't go to my site by accident and then tell somebody else. And eventually they did. It was that sort of thing. And you can try to do a little advertising. You can talk it up as best you can to people you know or whatever, but it's basically it's a very, very slow start. That way, five years later, you and, you know, 100 people know that it's there because it's a very slow start if you just let it grow on its own. Mine was a very slow start. Five years later, you know, if I sold, uh, you know, a book a week, 52 books a year, you know, that was a good year. Well, you know, now I I sell, you know, 100 times that many. You know, I sell 200, 200 books a month, basically. And I've been doing that for a pretty long time. That's kind of the typical sales for me. And that's just people telling people. So I've had that for a long time. And I've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions of people who have seen the work and read the work and are interested in it. So it grows. So that's another way, but it's slow. I did all that. I started writing back in 19, you know, 95, 96, 97, something. Wrote for five years, published it in 2002. So that's, you know, uh, a long time ago. So that's the way I did it because I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. And, uh, I really don't want to be charismatic because that uh, basically makes a cult of personality. At least that was my idea. Maybe it doesn't have to, you know, if you're a different kind of person. So that's why I say it has to be on who you are and what kind of resources you have. If you don't have very many resources, which I, I had some, but not really many. My thought was that if the book didn't make it on its own, then it, wasn't time yet. It wasn't ready. People weren't ready for it. So that's how I dealt with it. But uh, I think there's lots of ways to go, and there's value in all of them. Now, I wouldn't say any of them are bad ways. They're just ways that that uh, they work a little different, come out with a little different endings. But it has to fit you, because if it doesn't fit you, you'll have to work at it rather than Love it. You know, you'll be doing it as a job rather than doing it as, as something that is what you want to do. So it needs to fit you very well and your personality. And then it'll be something that you, that you love. And then it won't be work. It'll be fun. That's the way mine's turned out to be. So, um, You know, if you just put it out there, you should do some marketing, which means put up a website at least. Then go to other websites that are in a similar area, and in their discussion groups, you can talk about it. Not say, oh, I've written a book, you ought to go read it, because nobody will read it if you say that. But just talk about it until you get people who are interested. And then if they are really interested, then you can tell them about your stuff, you know, that sort of thing. 
soft sell rather than hard sell. And eventually you can get people who know other people. And then eventually you'll get a break. Somebody who has a, you know, has a, a website and 500 people that follow it or a thousand people that follow it, they'll put it up and say, oh, I just read this and it's really good. I recommend it to other people and then it'll get a little bigger and it just, it just grows slowly, but it'll grow. You got something worth saying. I think it'll, it'll grow. I heard the saying and I, I've repeated it and I believe it. And that is that the, you know, the truth will always flow to the top. It might be slow. It may take a, you know, a century, but it'll always float to the top. And, and the bad stuff, the stuff that's, that's, that is not helpful will always sink to the bottom eventually. Even if it does a long run of being on top, it will eventually go to the bottom. So you have to take the long view. So I don't know if that's helpful, Eric, or not. But uh, no, no, definitely. There were some useful insights in there for sure. And yeah, I've personally always found that something a bit off-putting about stuff that's very aggressively marketed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, so, I was also thinking that if you market it quite aggressively, then maybe you you get more people that see your work, but then also a lot of people that aren't, that it's not really suited for. And whereas if you let people find you, then you're sure that those people really were meant to find your work. And then, so yeah, maybe less people, but more like better people, like better quality students. Yeah. And generally that's the way it works. You can get more people faster, but it's usually shallow. You know, it's a it's a shallow thing. And if you want it to be a deep connection, something that they get that's really meaningful, you know, a real deep connection at their brain level, then that doesn't you can't market that. That has to just happen organically. You can market things, oh gee whiz and lots of glitz and you know, make sure all your all your videos, you know, are in tune with the with the audience that you have and they have the right amount of words and the right amount of pictures and the music and you can do all that and you can gather a lot of people around very quickly if you do that and keep your message at about a 12 year old level. Don't go up above that because that's kind of the average literacy level of people of humans. So keep your message about there. No, you're laughing. Uh, Carolina, that's true. That's the way advertisers, marketers, authors, everybody, hits at that level. It's about the 12-year-old level of, of literacy, of understanding. And you get more sophisticated with it as you grow beyond 12, but that's about, you know, a 12-year-old can pretty much understand any movie, you know, any book, anything that's in our culture. It's, it's, it's written so that a 12-year-old can understand it. So that's typically what people shoot for. That's the that's the average level of, of understanding and literacy. So uh, I think that's, you know, I'm not just saying that because I thought of it. I didn't think of that, but I've, heard, I've read that many places many times, that uh, the media industry, that's their standard of, of how, to, you know, how to say things, what to do, you know, books that are written. If you read, a, you go to a lot of websites and a lot of things that's there, if you read, if you read what, what's written in a newspaper, right read all the stuff in a newspaper or like that and you'll find that mostly it's shallow and 
all the things you'd really like to know were never mentioned. <laughs> all the meat was skipped. You know, it's just the it's just the shallow, easy stuff on top. So you can go to a you know go to a newspaper that's that's about politics or something and read it, and you'll basically find that it's all kind of shallow and and uh, none of the things that are most important are ever talked about because it's purposely at a twelve year old level. Otherwise, they wouldn't get very many customers. They'd, they'd only have, you know, they'd only have a few people would go there because people literally wouldn't understand it. They'd take too long. So anyway, yeah, there's, there's like I say, advantages and disadvantages. But if you get a lot of people soon, it's not as hard to do. I mean, go get a, a publicist, you know, hire a PR person, and they will tell you what to hit, what to say, where, on what media, and so on. And you can get lots of people quickly and if you keep it at around a 12 year old level of understanding and keep saying things that are entertaining then you can get millions of people but it's all a very shallow message but getting a a decent good good intentions shallow message out to millions of people isn't necessarily a bad thing you know it's not like that's that's a bad thing to do that's helpful all of those people who know that that jump on that train may learn something useful. May they may gain from that. It may help them take the next step. So it's not like that's a bad thing to do. It just wasn't my thing to do. You know, that wasn't the that's not where I was coming from. And I didn't want to I didn't want to do that. So that's it has to do a lot about you as to how you how you go about it. It has to be something that you're at ease with and and what would you say about the aspect that if you give someone information if you want to help someone you not only have to present the information in the right way um but also in the right timing so if you say to them in a stage that's too early for them to process it then you kind of ruin it because if you then say to them later then now they've already heard it before so they're not as receptive for it and things like that. So if you consider your own work, for example, if you would get the opportunity now to present it to a whole lot of people, because some famous, I don't know, podcast host would invite you, would you, would you take that opportunity? Or would you think that that would be presenting your information too prematurely, so to speak? No, I would probably take that uh, opportunity unless unless the the people you know if it was a let's say it was a podcast that was really very popular but it was all about aliens or it was all about uh, you know uh, some other subject that was really off you know off the mark then i probably would not take that i wouldn't go there or that if it's a, something that dealt with uh you know fear-based stuff you know i wouldn't go there conspiracy theory stuff i wouldn't go there you know there's certain places i wouldn't go but it was somebody who just dealt with the public, you know, the general public and interesting things, then I would go there because though 90% probably wouldn't be interested, they really wouldn't understand or get it. Um, a 10% or even a 1%, you know, if it goes out to a million people and 1% really get it, well, you've just, you know, connected with a whole lot of people that would need connection with. So, yes, I would take that. I would take that offer if uh, something like that 
came along, if it were just kind of something that average people listen to, I would, I would do it. But you're right. To communicate with somebody, you have to understand where they are because you can only help them if you give them what they're ready for as far as the next step. And if they're not ready for another step, if they're happy right where they are and not looking for another step, you probably can't help them at all. But if they are looking for another step, which means they're a seeker, they're somebody who's looking to understand things that they don't understand, then you can only start from where they are and take a small step. Okay, that's If you take a big step and go too far, that will not work. It will be not helpful to them. If you, if you tell them things that are true when they're not ready for that truth, that's not helpful. So you should never tell people things that are untrue, but you don't have to tell everything to everybody. You only tell as much as you think that's going to be helpful to that particular audience that you're talking to. So when you, know, you get to the point that you're sending out things to YouTube, and 100,000 people will look at it, that's hard to do, to hit that 100,000 people, you know, where they're ready to learn and to not give them truths that they're not ready for. But you have to do the best you can, which means you can't say too much, you can't say too little, you have to say just about the right amount of, of information for the likely audience that's going to, to get it. Yeah, it's not... You know, some people think that, you know, the truth is magical. Just tell people the truth and let them deal with it. You know, just go up to somebody and say, you know, here's the truth. And let them deal with it. And if they walk away from it, well, they walk away from it. If they get angry with it, they get angry with it. At least you told them the truth and they get to deal with it and you've done a good thing. That's not the way it is. What happens if you tell people the truth that are not ready for that truth, you may make it much harder for them to get to that truth on their own. Because they're not ready, they'll reject it. Having once rejected, it's easy to reject it the next time and the next time. So it's, you know, because then they, they develop a belief for themselves. Now they have a belief that that couldn't possibly be true. And now they're worse off than if you've never said anything at all. So it's, it's, you know, throwing the truth in people's faces is not helpful. If they're not ready to take that truth and do something with it, better just to let it be. So, you know, I tell people that, you know, I, that, uh, you know I, I don't share a lot of my experiences. I don't share a lot of the particularly, uh, you know, places I've gone, things I've seen, people I've talked to, you know, all of it in the non-physical. I don't talk about that because unless you've already done it, you can't understand it. What it does is it leaves people in a position of either believing it or not believing it. Both are dysfunctional. <laughs> They're walking around believing it. That's not helpful to them. Makes them feel less adequate. Oh, I can't do that. You know, I wouldn't be able to do that. Only special people can do that. And if they disbelieve it, then it makes them that much further away from ever being able to have it the own experience themselves. So the best thing is just not to talk about it. At least that was where I got to. There's lots of books that do talk about it. You know, they can go read Bob Monroe's book. He 
He just told people what he experienced. And that's fine. You need some of those books. But that's not what I wanted to do. You know, that wasn't the kind of book I was writing. And it wasn't what I, where I wanted to go with it. So, again, it's personal as to what you want to what you want to do with it. All right. Thank you. Yeah, that's interesting. I have one last follow up. Um, that's related. Uh, I would assume that when you were doing a lot of meditation and consciousness exploration with Dennis Menerick and Bob Monroe in your 20s and maybe 30s, that you already learned a lot about the nature of reality and the nature of consciousness and that you probably would have already been very good at helping other people with their path of personal growth and consciousness quality evolution. But as far as I'm aware, your work as a spiritual teacher only started many years later after you published your books around 2003. So in the 30 years before that, did you ever consider doing work as a spiritual teacher or something similar? And if not, why not? I'd be curious to hear more about that. Okay, well, I did, but only at a very minimal level, only with people who knew me well enough to ask. So sometimes somebody who knew me or even knew of me would call up and or would come and talk to me and say, I've got this this uh, group of people and we all would like to learn how to meditate. Could you teach us? So I did that. I get in my car, drove, you know, 50 miles and met with them like five or six times to teach them how to meditate. So I did that in my 20s. Um, you know, things like that. As they would come up, yes, I would, I would do that. If somebody asked in conversation, sure, I would do that. But I didn't make any, any effort to publish it or, you know, offer it to people. In general, it was just people who knew enough to ask on their own would ask, and I would teach. Uh, of course, we did a lot of teaching when we were running uh, the the uh, things at Monroe. You know, Dennis and, and Nancy Lee and I would give these sessions where we'd go out. Um, sometimes, you know, we'd travel on the road and do the out-of-body stuff, and, of course, we were teachers then. So everybody was in the class, just like now, there's thousands of questions. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? I had this experience. What does that mean? You know, so, you know, I was teaching then. So was Dennis. So was Nancy Lee as we did those. So that was kind of our role as we gave those things was as teachers. But then to do that uh, in another role, I wasn't too interested in that. I was interested in understanding how did it work? You know, what was the big picture? Because I thought there were plenty of people that teach you how to meditate. You know, it's not that hard to find somebody to do that. I didn't need to join that group doing that. Other people had that covered. Just like I didn't have to tell stories about the out-of-body because lots of people have written books about their out-of-body experiences and the things they did. Yeah, go read that someplace else. That's not what I wanted to offer. What I wanted to do was, was something, I think, deeper than that and broader and more profound. So I wanted to keep working on figuring it out. And once I had it all figured out, then I thought it would be a good idea to write it down. And I found out when I wrote it down that I hadn't figured it out at all. You know, I had lots of things that uh, in writing it down, you have to be more specific than when you just talk about it. 
talking about it, you know, everybody nods their head like, yeah, I got it, I got it. But, you know, a lot of that's fuzzy. And then when I had to write it down, I realized there were, there were holes in it, logical holes that I needed to patch up. So I worked on that, which is why it took me five years to write it. You know, I had to f- figure some things out, too, as I, as I was doing it. But it just wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to just teach people how to meditate or teach people uh, how to go out of body or do any of that. It just, to me, it wasn't that significant. Somebody else could do that. I thought, you know, I didn't mean, I don't mean that it's not that significant and it isn't such a good thing to do. It is a good thing to do. We do need people to teach other people how to meditate and how to remote view and how to do these other things. It's just that that's not where I saw my gift or my ability I would rather spend my time working on understanding it and how it connected with this world and how science and, you know, the physical and the non-physical were all really one thing. And how, how was, you know, how was that? How could I explain that to people? That was something I knew was true, but I couldn't explain it to anybody, at least without any, you know, without, you know, with logic and credibility, I couldn't explain it. So that kind of was where I knew my niche was. So that's where I spent my time. So to answer you, I did teach some, but it was just on a as-asked basis and not with me advertising it, but just as people who knew me asked for kind of special favors. And same with the healing, same with all those things. People that knew would ask, you know, and I would, I would do it. I would heal. I would give information. I could give you know, I had uh, there for a while, and this wasn't that long ago. It was uh, actually after my books were published. There was a group around where I lived who were interested, and I had, uh, they were friends, but also friends that were on a path to grow. So I had four or five, sometimes as many as six people come over to my house, sit down, and I talk to them for two or three hours once a week. So I do that as asked by people who know me, but it's not something I do ordinarily and i haven't done it for a while because when i was doing that i wasn't quite so busy as i am now i could still do that and keep up with my email now i can't keep up with several different things of you know run over me as far as my inability to keep up with them so i don't really do that anymore i don't have time but as long as i had time i was perfectly willing to teach and i enjoyed it you only know something well after you've taught it and probably after you've taught it, you know, four or five or a dozen times. And to say things in ways that people get it takes a lot of work. And teaching helps you develop how you're going to put it, you know, what your metaphors are going to be and how you're going to explain it. So the more you teach, then the better teacher you become if what you're trying to do is transmit information you know, in a, in a in a way, you have to go to where that person is. Like I said, if you're going to tell, if you're going to communicate, just plain communicate. First, you have to go to where that person is, speak in their language from what they understand, and then take a small step in the direction you'd like to take them. Because if you say, well, look, here's the answer. Here I am, and here's here's the way it is. You come on over here. <clears throat> here, here I am, and I can tell you all this stuff is true. So you just come on over here and be where I am. That's not helpful to people. You have to go to where they are and work your way 
a couple of steps at a time from where they are. And you have to say the same thing in 10 different ways because nine of those ways won't trigger anything inside of them. And the 10th one, well, you know, so you can't just be a person of few words. You have to explain things multiple ways from multiple perspectives because every time you add a new perspective, you know, another bunch of people will get it that otherwise wouldn't have gotten it if you hadn't said it just like that. So it's good to teach. So I did, but only in a kind of a very casual way. All right, thank you. That was uh, that was super interesting. Um, do you have a question? Yeah. Um, so I did. Um, I had a session with a lady last week that was called. Um, she was using a method on me that was called emotion, the emotion code. And basically how she explained it to me was that like she would be releasing emotions out of my body. And also those emotions could be stored in the body and be um, perceived as a physical pain. And yeah, I was just wondering how that would work from an MBT perspective. Is okay. that, is it like, is it, um, is that possible to release emotions for somebody else? Well, no, you can't release emotions for somebody else. That person has to do it. But you can help that person get into a mind frame of doing it themselves. So you can help other people do it, but you can't do it for them. That, that, isn't, that isn't possible. You, and the way you do that, you know, you, if you just give people the idea that it's possible, often it'll happen. I have lots of people who start having paranormal um, things happen to them as they read my books. Okay, they read the books, they get in through book two, going into book three, and they start having paranormal experiences. They remote view, they get a day, you know, they get a, a precognitive dream. These things start to happen to them. And the reason for that is because as they read my book, they came to the realization that these things are possible. Just knowing that they're possible opens them up to you as a possibility. And if before you didn't think of them as possible, you thought of them as impossible or didn't think of them at all, then you would never have them. So yes, indeed, reading my book does help some people, you know, do paranormal things. Probably not everybody, but some people it does because they're kind of on the verge of that ability, but they don't have anything to trigger it or anything to let them know that it's okay or that it's not crazy or that it's possible. So if you're trying to help somebody release emotions, just letting them know that, you know, you can release your emotions. And when you give up a lot of those emotions you're carrying around, some of the fear will go with them. Some of that fear is bound up in those emotions. Just let people know that. And then if you give them some kind of, some kind of ritual to do that with, well, here's what we're going to do. You know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to turn on, this light, and you're going to stare at it, and then I'm going to do this and that and the other, and then when I count to 10, your emotions will come up and bubble up, and you'll feel them and know them and 
you know, let go of them. Well, that will work for some people just because you led them to that possibility and then gave them a way of doing it. Whereas the light and all the rest of it's totally irrelevant. Somebody just made that up on the spot. You know, it doesn't matter. It's a tool. You've made up a tool. The tool's just something we make up to help people do something. So the tool itself is completely irrelevant. But the fact that you lead someone, first give them the possibility and lead them to go through a process to attain it, some of them will. It's not just placebo. It's placebo effect plus the fact that you're giving them possibilities and tools in which to do the, in which to implement that possibility. And often, if they're ready, that's all they need to kind of take the next step. If they're not ready, it won't do much for them. They'll walk away and say, it didn't work for me, because they weren't at that point that they were ready for that yet. That's why you have thousands, you know, I was going to say hundreds, but hundreds if not thousands of different modes of healing and ways of approaching spiritual things. They're mostly just different tools that people have found that work for a fair number of people because it uses a metaphor that resonates with those people. It allows them to see it as a possibility and gives them a method to actualize that possibility. It's all you need to do. So, yes, indeed, might work. But it's not because of the process. And, like, and how is it with those emotions then? Like if, um, like if somebody helps, somebody guides me helping release, releasing them, like do I need to feel them in order to release them? Probably, because if you didn't feel them, then you probably wouldn't have any sense of having released them. You know, if it's all just intellectual, you know, it doesn't work very well. If intellectual things work, you know, you just give people a magic word, you know, the magic word is be gone. So just say be gone and all your fears will go away. You know, that's not going to be very effective. See, you have to get people's minds in the right space. You have to help them get into some kind of an intuitive space and they have to go through a, if you don't, you know, if you don't lead them through some process that actually has them getting in a good space, connecting with their emotions and then letting them go, then it's not going to work very well. So you can't just, I mean, some tools work, other tools don't. Because, oh, I, I can get rid of all your fears. All you do is snap your fingers and say, fears be gone. You're cured. It's done. Some people that will actually work with. Some people could actually do that and it would work, but they would be extremely rare people. Okay. Extremely so rare I... people. Most people would say, yeah, right. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. And it's not going to work with them because it obviously carries no credibility. Could you give me an example of like how you would approach that? Like, let's say I have an, I have a strong emotion coming up now, boiling up in me. Mm-hmm. Like, how would you approach that? Like, how would you guide me through well, that? First of all, I wouldn't just work with emotion. I, I would separate emotions between positive emotions and negative emotions. And if you had emotions welling up in you that you were, that I considered positive, that's, 
know, joy, love, caring, happiness, satisfaction, feeling good. You know, if those were your emotions, then I'd just say, good work, continue, have more of those. You know, and there's nothing to be done about that. So I just focus just on negative emotions. I'd say the emotions that show a problem are things of feeling inadequate, uh, you know, uh, what, uh, stress, unease, anger, feeling like you're not making much out of your life and that you don't know what to do, you know, negative emotions, things that have some negative content to them. I said, look at those. Now, every one of those negative emotions, those negative feelings, is there because you have a fear. Because if you didn't have any fear, you wouldn't have any of those negative emotions. All those negative emotions are fear-based. And then I'd say try to find the fear that goes with that particular negative emotion. I'd encourage you to do that. But I think you could do that on your own. I wouldn't have to sit there and go through them with you. I could. Would it take a lot of time, and we could eventually root them all out, but would you actually get rid of them, or would you kind of get an intellectual awareness of these fears, and now you add one more fear to it? Oh, no, I have all these fears, and they control my life. Now that's another fear that you stick in the bag with all the rest of the fears, and it really hasn't helped you any. So I'd basically tell you what to do and figure that you would do it, and if you were really serious, you would succeed. If you weren't, you weren't ready yet. So that's kind of the way I would uh, I would approach doing that. Otherwise, you're going to lead a lot of people through a lot of process who aren't really ready to get rid of the fear in the first place. And now you've just added more fears to what they already had. Oh, no, I've got all these fears. And they'd be aware of how all the fears were informing their choices and so on. Now, that'd be one more thing to be worried about. So you don't want to add fear to people in the process of trying to get away it. So I kind of let people go through their own process in their own way at their own speed. That way they're not going to add much to it. If they're really not ready, after a few weeks they'll quit and life will go on for them the way it was. And how does that work with the emotions? Like how are they stored in the body? Well, what happens is that You know, you've heard me say the mind leads, the body follows. You, Your body tries to reconfigure itself to support the consciousness, to support the mind. Okay, the mind is consciousness. So if the consciousness is full of stress, then the body shows that. It, it, it uh, manifests that stress physically. You'll start getting large knots in the back of your you know, neck and shoulders that are tension. They're from tension. Uh, other things will happen. Your, the, the, the various biochemicals that you have will change. Your amount of serotonin you have will decrease. Things will change in your body. So your body will tend to modify itself to suit who you are. So if you're an unhappy person, you can manifest that unhappiness in your body. And unhappy body is one that's basically sore and hurts, you know, it's, it's, you know, back aches and shoulder aches and eye twitches, you know, the things where your eye starts to jump up and down, you know, these are the ways your body manifests stress and negative feelings. And it'll change your mood and perspective to where you become maybe an angry, argumentative person, 
which then will just create more stress, which then makes you more that way, which creates more stress. So most of these things just tend to be downward spirals because now your body's full of lumps and things that ache and pain. And what's that do? It makes you complain more, makes you feel more self-pity. Why me? You know, I can't go to the thing because I feel bad. And then that starts making you feel bad about yourself. And most of these are downward spiral sorts of things. They start at a very simple, not very significant level, but they just keep adding to where you end up having to go seek professional help to deal with them. But even the professionals are not going to help you to deal with it if you're not ready. Try as they might, you know. You can hang on to your fear if you want to. Yeah, it's interesting that that you said that, um, like that, if you really want to get rid of it, like you will succeed, right? Like, but for me, like I lately have the experience that, like, I'm I'm working through my emotions that are working with my fear, and then I tend to get, uh, really like in a bad mood. I I get to like it's sort of the. I I fall into this loop of self-judgment, so it gets in my way of being really able to resolve the fear because it seems like that fear is that fear mm -hmm. of um, yeah being inadequate is just in the way of working on another fear. Right. So, Sounds like you need to start working on the fear of being inadequate. Yeah. That's that's the first fear you need to work on because that's going to interfere with all your other work. Mm. So you may need to start on on that one. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, people want to work on their fears until they find out how, how much hard work it's going to be and how it doesn't feel good. And then they decide to do something else. You know, instead, that is generally the ego telling them, oh, it's all right, you're okay. That fear isn't such a big deal, you know, and you don't want all this suffering. Why don't you go do something fun? You know, you deserve something fun. So sometimes it's just the ego that tells you that if it doesn't feel good, you shouldn't do it. And you get grumpy when you don't feel good and that your life is mostly centered around feeling good. And when you don't feel good, you change what you're doing and do something else. And if you don't like the way that food tastes, you don't eat that anymore. And if you do like the way this other food tastes, you eat more of it than you should. You know, and your life turns out to be about feeling good. And ego will do that to you. That's the, what about me? <laughs> you know, I deserve, I deserve some more happiness. Well, this is all this, this misery I'm getting dealing with these fears. Uh, what about me? I should uh, let all this alone and go do something for me. And be happy, you know. That's just ego, fear, and self-pity. So you can get into that kind of a cycle where as soon as it starts to hurt, you decide to do something better, something more fun. Well, then you just have to have a commitment that it might take a while and it might not be pleasant, but it's worth it. Because if you don't think it's worth it, then you're not ready yet and you're not going to get there. So it's just a matter of like being consistent with it and focusing on where you want to get. Yes. And hanging with it until you get there. Okay. Yeah. That was very helpful. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. 
Yeah, and you had a question on emotions that may tie into all of this discussion. Please go ahead. Hi, everybody. Um, I got a question about discerning emotions and how to actually identify what emotions come from oneself and others. Okay, I didn't necessarily get that question. Is there emotion to tell when an emotion comes up from somebody else? Yeah, yeah, because um, I think I'm, I'm made up a belief that I might feel emotions from others. And I made a construct about being an empath and I am so much more able to, to, to feel other people's feelings. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, it's a bit, it's overly dramatic in the end. I think, um, I feel like it's just my own fear basically. And that, that what I came to most of the time that I interpret, um, my experience in some way and then make up some feelings and then blaming the outside for it. So, yeah, I, I just uh, listened to Laurie Houston uh, and you, um, the, the last, the last thing you, you did with her and right in the end, it's funny, like uh, recommended videos came up, come up and they, they give you the best things that, that one needs right now. And it always helps me. Um, to uh, to realign myself because the ego just strikes back all the time and um, throws so many thoughts and interpretation possibilities at me sometimes it's crazy um, and the the deeper the understanding the more I think um, I might understand others but in the end I come to the came to the con conclusion to that to just let go from the others just try just be with myself and feel myself and just care for others and be love and care for others. And then everything else falls away and I can just be naturally and just don't try to control anything. And that's what I'm working on. And that's, that's perfect. Yeah. That's exactly what you should be doing. Yeah. Yes. You, you know, we, you can get into these things and, and, uh, they can become a problem, like being a, a, an empath, you know, being empathic. Well, everybody can be empathic. You know, you're a human being. Empathy is part of what makes you a human being. You know, so everybody can be empathic. So you can you can feel other people's feelings. But in general, the, you know, kind of the, the question that comes up in my mind is, okay, so what? You know, it's it's not a it's it's not a big deal you know so what is okay you're empathic so you know that's not a it's not a thing to hang your hat on you know it's just a matter of, you can be kind as well to other people and you can be helpful yeah well good you should be and you know go on with your life so it's you you finally you know what what you just said that is right just be who you are do your best to be love, you know, care for people, be considerate and kind, and let everything else fall where it is. Of course you will be empathic, because when you care about other people, that makes you empathic automatically. It's not something you have to you have to develop or particularly pull on, or it's not particularly cool that you get this guy's this emotion and that person, you know, they can wad up into an ego thing that now you're trying to work on this. Empathy is a tool that's going to make you 
something else. And okay, you're empathetic. Good. You're a human being, I guess. Now, <laughs> go become a love <laughs> and, be abuse, and be abused to somebody, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. It's that sort of thing. And of course, empathy will come along with that. And so well, getting data out of the databases and so well, remote, you know, all that stuff will just come naturally as you need it to be helpful to other people. And if you're not needing it to be helpful to other people, then you don't need it. You see, and just needing it because it's a cool thing to do. And it's like power, you know, well, you don't need to go there. So sure. You're, I think you're headed in the right direction. I think it's sometimes just hard to face some, some of those, um, yeah, and un insecurities when other people act in a certain way, and I'm not sure if they are true or not, and it feels not right. And sometimes I, I want to meet and I cannot meet. And sometimes it's just that way. And sometimes I feel like I'm the wrong, wrong person, or am I not authentic enough and all those things. But I think, um, in, in yeah, that, that is something I really struggle yeah. with. That is really a little bit, yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, a key thing for you, Jan, is to not overthink it. Stop trying to analyze it. Stop trying to figure it all out. Just be it. You can't overbe it, but you can't <laughs> overthink it. <laughs> so just be who you are, right? Just be it, whoever you are. And uh, let other people just be whoever they are. Don't analyze them either. Oh, look at them. Here's, here's what they're doing and here they're doing that. And they're better at that than I am. And maybe I should learn to do that too. You say, Oh, that's your intellect trying to figure everything out and put it in place. Don't, don't, don't go there. Just don't overthink it. Just be, be who you are. If it feels wrong, don't do it. If it feels right, do it. If you're not quite sure, then don't do it yet. You know, wait. See if that changes, but just be who you are. Don't have to have a reason or, or a, an excuse or anything else about anything. Just be the way you feel and you'll learn from that. Now, when you just are and you're just being, you will make mistakes. You'll do things that you wish you hadn't done, but that's called learning. You grow up from that. That's okay. You see, you can make mistakes. That's the way it is. When, you, when you're not planning everything, you're going to screw up sometimes. You're going to say, yeah, well, that feels right. I'll go do that. And then you say, oh, man, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, that was stupid on hindsight. Well, you'll learn something. Perfectly fine. That's okay. Make mistakes. Mistakes are, are okay. Just, just learn from them. So, see, you don't have to analyze everything and make sure that it's this way or that way. And here you are. And how do you relate to that? And how are they going to see you? And if you did this, would they see you that way? And on and on and on. And that, what that does is drives you insane. That makes you nuts because there's no end to that pile of spaghetti and where all those paths may take you here and there. And besides, it's all in your head. None of that's probably true anyway. You can't, you can't analyze. You, can, you can't take that many steps forward. Be who you are. Be authentic. Do what you think's right. You can think about, well, is this right or not? And you say, if this is right, I'll do it. And if, this, if you say, well, I think that's kind of shady. I don't know that that's right. It doesn't seem like it's part of a good path. So then don't do it. And then whenever you make a mistake, learn from it.
So try to make small mistakes, though. <laughs> Not really big mistakes. <laughs> try to make small mistakes. That, that would be an advantage. And don't worry. Don't worry about it. But, you know, just common sense will keep you from making big mistakes. Yeah, so that's it. Just be who you are. And uh, you, the thing you can analyze is this. If I'm wrong, is that a big mistake or is it a little mistake? Well, if it means you're going to spend 30 years in jail, that's probably a big mistake. <laughs> you know, or you're going to end up hurting somebody. You know, that's a big mistake. But if it just means that, you know, these are the wrong people to make friends with, or if it means other kinds of things, these are little mistakes. And you get over the little mistakes pretty quickly. The boat always seems to right itself. You know, even when it capsizes, it just popped back up the right way. And then all you have to do is bail it out and you're back, you're back taking a, a trip again. So don't worry about being wrong. Just worrying about being you and being authentic and let all the rest of it settle out however it does. Learn from it as you go. But you overthink everything. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Indeed, it is like this. Yeah, I mean, my my ego just lo loves thinkings, <laughs> right? That's because you're afraid of doing it wrong. Oh yeah, and being wrong, and wrong is such a terrible <laughs> thing to be that you just can't understand <laughs> that you might be wrong. You see, yeah. but then that makes you wrong almost all the time <laughs> because when you when you have a need to be right, then you mostly do things that are wrong. When you're just being you, you'll mostly do things that are right because you're not, you're mostly a good person, well intentioned, that cares about people. So you just be you and you'll do things that are mostly right. You try to manipulate everything by figuring it all out and being, you know, who you think you should be. You know, that's even manipulating yourself, you know, <laughs> you being not who you are, but who you think you should be. That almost always ends up, ends up with a negative doesn't work out. Just be who you are. Learn from it. That doesn't mean be careless. You know, if a whole bunch of your friends say, hey, I just got this new dope and it's going to be great. Yeah, I know it's illegal, but let's, you know, come over to my house. Nobody will be there and we'll all shoot up. Well, if you think about that, you probably think that's a bad idea. That doesn't sound like on the path to success. You know, that sounds like a a cheap high that is not part of growing up and becoming love. So no, thank you. See, that'll keep you out of jail. So that'll keep you out of doing those things that are really bad ideas. And the things that are good ideas that feel right, then just go do them. See how they work out. Oh, I, I like these people. They seem to be really nice people. Well, then hang out with them, be friends with them. And you don't have to, be special so that they will accept you as their friend. Because if they don't accept you just the way they are, they're not worthy for, you know, for you to have them as friends. People that accept you because you act in just the right way are not people that you want to be friends with because you're really not that way. And it's not going to work out. See how simple it is. It's just really simple. Just be you. Don't be afraid of making mistakes and learn from everything you do. Don't analyze yeah. it. Get your yeah. intellect. You need to take that intellect and wrap it up with duct tape, 
you know, and, and uh, you know, put it in a sock drawer someplace at the bottom of the drawer and leave it there for a while. You overthink everything. Yeah, it's a pretty heavy um, energy density on top of there. So um, keep meditating and keep going for the Just love. keep being. Just keep being. Yeah, yeah. Just be. You can't over be, but you can't overthink. Mm. Yeah. And if people um, don't like you the way you are, they're not good people for you to, to hang out with. When they they'll always make, insult they'll me make, and they'll make bad friends, right? If they're going to yeah. insult you, they're going to do things. And those aren't the people you want to be friends with. They don't qualify as your friends. They're not worthy of your friends. So that's, you know, so just be people like you. They will people don't, they don't the people that like you just for who you are, then you can be friends with them. The people that only like you, if you're different than you are, they're no good for you as friends. They're probably no good for anybody as friends. They're probably too self-centered. So uh, eventually that filter will turn out that you'll have a group of really good friends who are really nice people. And the people who aren't nice people, they won't be your friends. Well, that's what you want. You want the nice people uh, to be your friends. You want the not nice people to leave you alone and go someplace else. So that's what you accomplish when you're authentic. Tom Campbell here. INMBT Events hope you liked this video. We now have well over a thousand hours of free video on this user-friendly, ad-free YouTube channel. Though these videos are free to our viewers, they represent many thousands of hours in production and editing, and many thousands of dollars invested in video and audio equipment, along with the required computers and software to store and process the raw video into finished products. So far, all of this content has been funded directly out of our own pockets. Be assured, we will always continue to do what we can. It's our life, our purpose, a labor of love that we will continue to pursue as best we can. However, those pockets are not as deep as they used to be. Thus, we are now seeking to augment our resources with support from our viewers. If you find something of significant value in our videos, please consider supporting their production through our Patreon account or through a one-time donation. The links are in the description below. Thank you.